If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, popping in real quick to invite you to check out the Spark subscription. I know writing student-driven storylines can be so overwhelming, from choosing your phenomena to bundling your standards to putting all those pieces together. And I wanted to make it easier for you, because I know it's important to engage your students with phenomena and have amazing storylines, but I also want you to have time for yourself and your family. So I created the Spark subscription. With Spark, each month, you're going to receive a new storyline starter, a real relevant anchor experience to capture student interest and spark their questions. You're going to get a pathways map to balance your need to plan ahead with also giving students the reins and allowing them to drive the learning. And over two weeks of lesson materials plus a three-dimensional assessment. You can be responsive to your students and still meet your standards. Plus, you can also keep your nights and weekends for your family and yourself. It is possible to be the amazing teacher you are and you want to be and also leave work on time. So you can grab your free storyline starter and check out the Spark subscription by visiting www.iexplorescience.com backslash spark. And that will also be in the show notes. All right, back to the episode. We are back for another episode of the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Nicole Van Tassel from iExplore Science. And I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And today we're going to be talking about really the role of standards and performance expectations in our units. So we kind of talked last time about phenomena and how we're using it, how we're choosing it, kind of its role in our instruction. And this time we want to get into, okay, so what is the role of the standards or how should we be using the standards? Almost what's their purpose or or just really how we're using them and maybe rethinking how you're using them. Because I know I, what I was doing two years ago is really different than the way I think about them now. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So do you, how, how did you start off, I guess, with using the standards? I think we probably started off a very similar. Um, I, I don't know that it's like super different. I think just the way that I think about them is different. Um, What I would do is I would take the evidence statements and I would like, I, 
I would take my performance expectations and bundle them together. And then I would look at the evidence statements and write out objectives and then like check everything off. Like we did this, we did this, we did this, you know, and like just basically making a checklist of things to do for, for. Yes. That's, that's pretty much how I did it too. And my units very much flowed. Like they were a bundle, Uh but they very much flowed like all of this expect performance expectation first, then all of this performance expectation next, then all of this one. Um, and I realized that it doesn't, and it shouldn't really be used. It doesn't have to be used that way. And your students are going to have your, well, you're going to open yourself up to better like student driven learning, or you're going to give space for your students to drive the learning if you let go of that approach. Um, but also it's just going to lead to less forcing of the material. If you um, really, and, and, it, and I think it also just helps students see the interconnectedness. If you truly enmesh the standards together, instead of like, I need to learn everything about climate first, then everything about weather, um, first everything about the water cycle, like whatever your order is, but it's not a checklist. And for a long time, I, I did think of it and use it like a checklist. Yeah, definitely. Like, let's just make sure that I covered every single little thing that was on there. Yeah. Well, and that's another good point too. So, okay. I guess first we should clarify when we're talking about bundles, we're literally just talking about groups of standards that we put together in a unit. And that is, we do want to do that. We do want to bundle. We don't want to have one unit for one standard, another unit for the next standard. Um, And really, if you think about if you're building a unit on a phenomenon, there's no way that one standard or one science idea is going to explain that phenomenon because the world is not that simple. So we do need bundles anyway. Um, But we want to truly integrate those bundles of standards instead of still just, this is my bundle, but I'm still going to use it like a checklist. Uh, And then I also want to, we just need to clarify too, when we're talking about the standards, we kind of, we're typically talking about the, we're typically using that word in place of performance expectation, right, Erin? Like when we talk about it at least. Um, But you have your performance expectations and then you have your disciplinary core ideas. So do you want to kind of talk about like the difference between those and maybe how we were meant to be using them? Sure. So the performance expectations are written in a 3D way where it includes the DCI, the SEPs, and the the cross-cutting concepts. So basically, it's almost like a bundle of those three things um, written into one statement explaining what students should be able to do by the end of your instructional sequence. Um, They're really focused on assessment and not on the learning. So it doesn't really explain like how you get from point A to point B. Um, I think also a lot of teachers really get trapped and they see like, oh, this is a modeling thing. I have to do modeling and that's it. So that's not at all the case. You can bring in other science and engineering practices and cross-cutting concepts when you are teaching. Um, but like, it, I, I think we just kind of get like, tr- like trapped into those performance expectations where we're like, trying to do exactly what it says there. And that's not the intent. The intent is really how students are being assessed. Yes. And and so you said by the end of your instructional sequence, but I just want to clarify, it's usually it's by the grade band. So for like middle school, when you typically have students for the whole year, 
it's if that's your standard for your for your grade level and nobody else is going to touch that standard in any of the other years then yes it's by your by the time you're done with teaching these students but like for high school you know when you it might be by the end of the course or it might be like they're going to see this in ninth grade and then they might see it again in like a physics you know maybe an integrated science ninth grade then they might see it again in like a physics class in 12th grade or something like that and then they go deeper into it or something So, um, that is one thing I think is kind of important and that requires obviously more like vertical alignment. And if Mm -hmm. you don't have that, then you might feel more responsible for certain things. But if you are like working with teachers across like sixth through eighth grade and you say, you know, we're going to introduce chemical reactions in sixth grade with this part, but I don't think they're ready to get into these more complex aspects of it or something. I don't know offhand, but um, that could be something that could be revisited in eighth grade. And that's totally okay because it's, you know, by the end of the grade band, they've built that really robust understanding. For sure. I think my perspective is a little bit different because I teach at the top of my grade band. So okay. (laughs) So, so like, I think one of the mistakes that people make at the top of the grade band is like, oh, that's already been done. I can't revisit that. You know what I mean? Like they're like, oh, well, this is a sixth grade standard. So I can't bring that in because it's already been taken care of. That's not my standard, which that's not at all the case. No. And if it's relevant to your phenomena and it's important to understand your phenomena, then you really should be, you know, maybe you're not spending the same amount of time teaching it, but you should be bringing it in and helping students make connections back to that, that content. Um, and so when we talk about content too, we're typically talking about those disciplinary core ideas. So like the big ideas that, Mm -hmm. that we use, um, that we want our students to walk away with. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of resources. And I feel like we've talked about this in, in other, um, podcasts. I don't want to go too far down this like rabbit trail, but we do really want to focus our instruction toward those big ideas and not get like trapped in those little facts and stuff too. So I think that's just something to kind of remember when you're looking at the disciplinary core ideas, they are big ideas. They're the things you want your students to walk away with. You still have like the minor facts or examples or observations and things. And those are kind of all evidence to understand those bigger ideas. Um, but the big ideas is, is really the focus with the NDSS. Yeah, I think that we, one of the things that I'm seeing as people are reviewing like their units, there's a lot of, or like um, instructional materials, there's a lot of complaining about like, they didn't teach this one specific thing. And it's okay to not have every single little thing checked off. Um, You don't have to teach like every single organelle or every single, every single type of weather or, you know, something like that. Yes, exactly. And again, it's, and the evidence statements. So when you look at the performance expectations, the creators of the NGSS also came up with these like evidence statements that kind of clarify and provide a little bit more explanation. Um, but the evidence statements kind of just give you an idea of what it could look like. So for like the cells one, it lists some of the organelles that, that you know, would be appropriate for students to develop an understanding of. But if you look at, if you read it really closely, it says like to explain a given phenomenon. So that means if your phenomenon has to do with, um, has to do with like an, uh, an animal cell or like a, you know, human cell or something, 
your students shouldn't be putting plant cells on a model for that assessment because it's not related to that phenomenon. And if you want to make sure that they know what a cell wall is, then give them a phenomenon that a cell wall is important and, you know, to explain. So, so that's kind of that same idea where we want to choose what's relevant to the phenomena we've chosen and not just like what the textbook facts include in their like encyclopedia approach to the content. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we said we want to, we do you want to bundle our performance expectations together for the youth? for our units, we said, so our unit storylines. So, and we also said that we don't want to approach them like a checklist. So we don't want to check them off, like all of this performance expectation, and then all of that performance expectation, nor do we want to approach each performance expectation, like a checklist, like this is in the evidence statement. So I have to do every single thing it says in the evidence statement. And I always like to use climate as an example for that, because if, like you, or like you said, weather, like climate, weather, maybe a certain factor is not relevant to the phenomenon you're studying and your students will survive and they will understand still the basics of how climate works. And, 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 and that's the goal, right? So we don't want to check off, like feel, we don't want to feel obligated to check off every single thing in an evidence statement. Um, so let's talk a little bit more and you kind of did a little bit, but let's just kind of review again how do we actually use the evidence statements? I'm sorry. Yeah. The performance expectations and the evidence statements and what, what's kind of more like what we're doing in the classroom, maybe day to day and how those like fit in. Um, I think that those performance expectations and the evidence statements kind of give you like a basic outline, but them in and of themselves don't relate to phenomena. So it, you wouldn't like just teach the performance expectation. You wouldn't teach students how to like develop a model of a cell. Like you wouldn't, that that's not a rich learning environment. So you need to tie it back to a phenomenon in order to make it make sense. Yes. Yes. True. Cause of it, yeah, it is not science is investing that in the natural world. And, and that's what we want our science day-to-day classes to look like. Um, and then the performance expectation really comes along when you're creating your assessment and you might be, and you should really be giving students like a new phenomenon for that assessment or, or something right. along those lines. Right. And they're showing you that they've learned all of the things by carrying out like what the performance expectation says, like developing a model or constructing an explanation to explain what they're observing or seeing or whatever. Um, how do you use the performance expectations? Like, so bundling, starting your unit, figuring out, like, how do you do, how do you do that? Or do you want to talk about how I do that? Um, I, I think we should talk about how you do it because my way is very like floofy and I don't, part of what I do is not like teaching people how to use that. Like I do kind of more stuff with the practices and stuff like okay. that. <laughs> I just kind of like start like thinking like, Hey, I have this phenomenon and I start like bringing stuff in and it's a very like nonlinear process. So I think your process is a little bit better. Well, it, it is like an art and it's kind of hard to like, sometimes translate that into more of a scientific replicable approach. Um, So I have kind of narrowed down a general approach. And honestly, if I, if, if I don't, I don't even want to say, I said in perfect world earlier, but like, I just not even like in a perfect world, but like if everybody was fully equipped and, and had the time and had the interest in doing this, I think the best thing to do is like, Hey, like find the phenomenon your students are interested in and then go from there. 
but that obviously takes a, well, most of us don't have that freedom in the classroom in right. reality. You have standards you've been assigned and, um, and you, and, and also that like fluffy way of doing things. Not everybody's into doing that. Right. right. So a li- more linear approach. So what I always teach teachers to do, and this is what I do in my like new um, storyline framework uh, program. So you want to identify like one or two focus standards that like you've been assigned. So typically, you know, if you're, if you are just like anything in sixth through eighth, and I guess pick anything in sixth through eighth, but whatever, whatever standards you are kind of responsible for, you want to pick one or maybe two, if there's two that you're like, oh, those just really go together. And I look at the disciplinary core ideas. So this is one of those few times where I do want to focus on the content because honestly, the science and engineering practices are not that important right now as I'm choosing my phenomenon, as, as I'm narrowing it down. Yeah. But, I, but the big science idea is because my phenomenon has to lead me back to that big science idea. Right. So I choose one or two focus standards. And then I look at those disciplinary core ideas. And then I just start like brainstorming potential phenomena. I ask myself, where do I see this in the real world? Um, how can I connect it to my students? What are my students going to be interested in? And I work my way to a specific phenomenon, a moment in time, events, thing that happened, whatever it is. And from there, I start to think like, what would my students, what other science ideas connect? What other science ideas would help my students understand this? What questions is this going to generate that, you know, science content could answer? And I go back to my list of standards and I, and I just match things up. So, you know, if my phenomenon is something about like bee population decline and my focus standard was that like plants and animals pollination interaction, like what animal behaviors help plants reproduce or something like that, then I might look at that and I might think, well, what other factors are related to bee population decline in um, this community in the last five years? And I might identify like mites or something like that. And that could be, okay, so I'm going to bring in this other ecology standard that relates to, um, like roles in ecosystems, predators, yeah. prey, consumer, yeah. like those ones, um, parasites, all that. And I might also think, okay, it, even outside of the life sciences, what else, what else might connect? And maybe I could tie in something um, about, I don't know, synthetic materials or pollution or human impacts or populations or something like that. If I want to bring more of a multidisciplinary, you know, life, earth space altogether, life, life, earth, and, um, physical science, like all together. So I look and I just try to think what other standards are going to connect with this phenomenon, with the questions my students are going to ask. And I choose one or two more. I really don't recommend choosing more than like three to five. And I think five is on the high end. If you're just starting out, I think three is my recommendation. If you're, if you're just beginning, um, cause you still get that very integrated approach when you do it well, but you don't get overwhelmed with a bazillion like standards. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of, and then you have your bundle and you kind of build from there. And then I, I like to choose to develop like pathways, but that's a conversation for another topic um, or that's a conversation for another podcast episode. Um, but basically that's what I build my storyline from at that point. I have my bundle at then. And it's really well embedded with the phenomenon. And that's, I think the difference between bundling first and choosing a phenomenon after 
Um, because I literally chose some of those standards, like for the phenomenon. So there's no stretching or reaching to try to make the connection, which can sometimes feel like not as authentic in the classroom. Um, it's all really embedded for sure. I think, okay. So I think that we actually do something similar ish. Um, I just have trouble like articulating my (laughs) process because it's like literally a pile of post-its just moving around. But the only thing that I would add is one of the things that I tend to do is, I kind of break my standards for the year up into like things that I, I find really relatable and things that I don't find are really relatable. So like to me, I really like chemistry, but I don't think it's relevant necessarily to our everyday lives. If we're looking at like, um, like particles, you know, like it's not, I mean, I could, I could find a way to make it relevant, but if I, if I bundle it with another standard, then I can make it much more robust and alive. Okay. So, um, so that's one of the things I do is I look at like, Hey, I really do think I could find a phenomenon, a phenomenon for these standards. These ones I think are going to be tricky. So where can I kind of put them in? So the, it's like those non-relatable ones would not be your focus standard that you would like right. use to choose your phenomenon, right. but they would be the ones that like, okay, I'm going to draw from those when I'm trying to make, build the connections from the phenomena. Right. That's a great, right. That's a great idea. Well, and I think that that approach lends to like specialties, like what is your specialty? What is, what is your area of interest and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, whereas I think a lot of teachers are having trouble with integrating and yeah. if they're like, they're like, Oh, I don't know how to teach chemistry. But if you kind of look at it from, I, from a life science approach, then it, it becomes a lot. And more it becomes interesting. Right. Yeah, that's true. And it, it really can just be about finding the phenomenon that connects to it. And then suddenly you like a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just was working with a school in Wisconsin and one of the teachers, she brought this standard to work in our session and our storyline framework session, because she's like, this is the standard I hate. I hate teaching this one. I never want to teach it ever. And we ended up all kind of collaborating and coming up with a phenomenon that, uh, that tied into for two other standards. Um, but really was almost built on the one that she didn't like. Mm-hmm. And she literally commented, this was a standard I hated. And now it's going to be my favorite one for the whole year. Like, yeah. Because she found a really engaging and interesting phenomenon that she liked and that she knew her students were going to connect with. And like that makes all the difference in making your content relevant. And it's, it's true for like teachers and it's true for the students. So yeah, I think, I think we um, like too often we focus on that. It has to be engaging for the students, but it also has to be engaging for the teacher because if we can't sell it, then it like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They feed, they feed off things you're interested in and that you're excited with. And especially when you have like those good relationships, if you're excited about it and you have that, those relationships with your students, like they're going to, they're going to feed off that. They're going to be excited about it too. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. So true. Um, do we have anything else to add really about, um, the standards? I don't think so. I like, we could go, we could talk about this for hours, but (laughs) I think, um, yeah, I, you know, if if you guys have any questions about, about, you know, the performance expectations or the standards or anything like that, reach out. We can also link in the show notes. I know Aaron has a really good video about like breaking down your evidence statements and really getting a feel. I think that's a really important step. It's one I did not mention when I mentioned about choosing a phenomena, you know, I look at, um, 
I, I really break down my focus standards first and truly understand what those are about and what those disciplinary core ideas are about. And then I choose the phenomena and then I kind of make the connections from there. So that is an important part of the process as well. Um, and so we can link that in the show notes. Um, and then any other resources we kind of think of after the fact, we'll put in the, in the show notes for you. Um, but thank you all so much for joining us for another week of your summer vacation. And we hope today's uh, podcast episode was helpful. Um, and I really, I guess, takeaways, and do you have anything like what, what should, you know, teachers do with this information? <laughs> um, I think the big, t- the big takeaway is to like take your checklist and throw it away because we're like, we've been trained to like use that checklist and it doesn't really serve us as well anymore. Yes. And if you're, if you're really hesitant about taking the checklist away, if it makes you feel better, make a checklist and then cut it all apart Mm -hmm. and at least give yourself the freedom to order it in whatever way flows with your phenomenon and with your unit and all of that so or bring anyway. it in later like make your checklist after you've made your your bundle you know what your I mean? bundle yeah like the checklist shouldn't be the primary focus right right the phenomenon should come first yeah right. so and if you're kind of revising your units you might need to combine a couple of the, the things that you do if you aren't approaching it like this unit is this standard and this unit is that standard mm-hmm. um take a look at it and see what you can combine around a phenomena and if you have some some units that seem really just overwhelming, don't be afraid to break them up. You don't have to have six performance expectations in every unit. You can break them into smaller to smaller units. And then uh, I would also just say, like, don't feel like you have to cover everything within a PE within a single unit. You can break it up over multiple units. Yes, definitely. That is one thing that I think is not communicated um, about performance expectations enough. Yeah. Really, just really come back to your phenomenon. If it doesn't fit with the phenomenon you've chosen, don't be afraid to move it to another point in your your, your unit or your, your school year or whatever. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and we will catch you later. Bye. Hey, can you take a second and help us out? Our ultimate goal is to improve science education, and you can help us do this by helping other science teachers find us. If you could just take a moment and rate and review the podcast, we would appreciate it so much. And if you have time to send this episode to a colleague who might find it useful, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner.